and welcome to the Adaptive Executive Podcast, where we meet with senior executives and discuss how to keep yourself and your organization adaptive and your employees engaged. My name is Greg Ballard, founder and owner of 5C Consultant, and I am your host. If you'd like to be considered as a guest for this podcast, you can apply on our website at 5C.Consulting. Look for the word podcast. For now, let's dive into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Adaptive Executive. I'm your host, and I am here with our special guest, Jonathan Hensley. Uh, welcome, Jonathan. Glad to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Jonathan, you are a co-founder and CEO of Emerge, a digital marketing product agency. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what brought you into this role? Sure. So, I've been in the digital product space for going on uh, 20, almost 25 years now. And really what brought me into the space was this incredible passion for the intersection of uh, human behavior and technology and how technology can influence and impact the way that we live and work um, in utilizing technology. And so that passion, uh, the, uh, the true nerd in me, drove me to get into the digital product space where we work with startups and Fortune 100 companies in helping them uh, define and deliver uh, their products and services and how to improve them uh, once they hit market. Mm. So 25 years, digital product space, obviously it's changed a lot in that two and a half decades, right? And it's probably even changed a lot in the last two and a half years. What are some of the big trends you're seeing in this digital marketing space? Well, I think one of the biggest things that we see is a lot of organizations now and businesses at all levels are trying to look at um, reevaluating the customer experience. How do we provide a more consistent and holistic customer experience? This is not a new conversation, depending on the sophistication of the company, but the understanding and the practices around it have evolved tremendously over the last few years. And that has really taken flight with um, looking at uh, how people want to consume their experiences. So there's more emphasis on self-service products and experiences. Uh, there's more emphasis around how do we create better products with faster time to value, which is one of the big conversations we hear, uh, you know, both from the customer perspective, it's more of how do you help me solve my problem better? And in the boardroom, it's more of how do I increase that time to value and help you actually achieve the outcome you want from choosing our product or service. And so these, these are really big kind of macro trends that are really impacting the resilience and the ability to scale and grow right now in the market. And so we mm -hmm. see those as a couple of the, the key ones that seem to be consistent across almost every sector right now. Yeah. Are you seeing similar trends on the B2C side or on the B2B side? Are they... Are they similar or are there some distinctions between marketing digital products to direct to consumer or to other business or to businesses? There's certainly some distinctions on how you communicate. I mean, but the essence of de developing a great product is the same. And so mm -hmm. the, the main differences I think that are really important to highlight is that 
you know, when you're usually selling to a consumer, you're selling to the same, your user is the same uh, as your buyer. They're, they're usually the same individual or the same household. When you look at the B2B space, it's a much more complicated experience where you're actually, your buyer and your user of your product or service can be extremely different and, and very distinct within the organization. And there's a extensive process that uh, companies are going through to create consensus and build validation before making a selection of a product and then how they adopt that product and distribute it across their employees or across their business in, in different facets of, of their supply chain um, are extremely different than the consumer who's engaging into that product from point of purchase immediately. So understanding those environments becomes absolutely mission critical to the success of delivering and bringing that, that product to market, whether you're on the consumer side or the B2B side. I got it. Yeah. Now you've put, like I said, you've been, you've been in this space for a long time. You've uh, co-founded an organization Emerge, but you've also authored a book called, is it Align Alignment? Talk a little bit about um, the, the the thesis and the premise of the book and you know, how that adds into this conversation, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So this was a, a, a labor of love, but um, I am a big advocate of just being a, a lifelong learner. And so roughly about 10 years ago, uh, I started to run into this information. And depending on the research you looked at, um, anywhere between 70 to 95% of all new products fail or underperforming. In the digital transformation and product space, uh, it's you know probably somewhere in the middle. And when you think about the fact that you know roughly, I think in 2021 there was roughly something like 2.6 trillion dollars spent on digital transformation. I mean, the actual the cost of failure is profound, and it's unbelievable. And I found myself just being somebody who loves to understand the way people think and work and use technology. I was like, what is happening here? Because I have worked with so many brilliant, smart, wonderful, thoughtful, hardworking people. And yet this statistic is just a reality of being in the product space. And so I really wanted to understand what was going on. And so that deep dive into trying mm -hmm. to understand that failure under performance um, started with um, a couple of years of deep research and interviews with leaders. And out mm. of that emerged a trend, which was there was one element that I saw consistently um, being looked at differently for those that were consistently successful uh, and were mm -hmm. beating those odds, not just once, but again and again across multiple organizations in multiple different markets. And that was this um, issue of alignment and really understanding mm -hmm. alignment at all of its different faceted levels. And so that inspired the book um, in wanting to help leaders understand it so they could help their teams grow and overcome the internal hurdles that usually are holding them back from realizing their goals. Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm, I'm listening to you talk through this. And um, I mean, my first instinct is, you know, the digitization has has been it's exploded right we've got so many digital products and so many products that are trying to compete in a in a, even a smaller and smaller niche right niche 
So if I can make a product that serves a very specific type of person, I may only get a handful of a small mark share of the market, uh, but I can charge them a premium because it's customized to them or it's gonna be mass market and I'm gonna to try to appeal as many people as possible. But the other side of it is, is a lot of times businesses look, potentially look at these as a fast fail opportunity. Hey, can I, can I just put money in and see what we get out? And so what I think I'm hearing you say is now that we've got some history in this kind of wild, wild west, there's now maybe some principles that people can use to refine and, and produce more, um, uh, more qualified products, more relevant products. That's a huge part of it. I mean, now we have several decades of, you know, uh, experience to look back on and, you know, learn these lessons from and, but we have to take the time to really analyze that history and understand what those things are. I think another thing though, that you touched on, that's really important to put a spotlight on is this idea of, well, let's invest some money into some technology and let's fail fast and see what happens. And, you know, there's this mantra in a lot of companies of fail fast and fail often. And I think it's when you understand the true spirit of what that means as a learning mechanism of let's fail fast, let's do small incremental investments so we can get as much insight to build better businesses, better products, better experiences. It's incredibly powerful. Unfortunately, the fail fast, fail um, often mantra is not very well understood. It's not actually something that the culture of the organization set up to leverage correctly. And it becomes one of the most toxic and dangerous things that organization can do to really drive um, an excuse for underperformance. And so mm. it's not really you know, established as what, what this true intention is. And so that kind of methodology in... Um, in the hands of, of someone who doesn't understand what its intent is can be very, very dangerous for an organization. Mm. So startups, PE firms, you know, I hope you caught that. Fast fail is not the method that we want to use going forward. Um, so thinking of that as a bit of a pitfall, a bit of a, maybe a myth in the, in the space, what are some other uh, myths or pitfalls that, executives and senior leaders and even PEs need to be looking out for when in initiating a digital product or service? Well, I think there's a lot of organizations and firms like that, including PE firms that I see acquiring companies and turning them, working to turn them around. Um, they take a very um, engineering centric or let, let's build something mentality Nothing wrong with that as long as there's a really clear and well-defined strategy and that there is um, mastery and understanding the problem space that you're solving for. And so, but leaping to building something without understanding that problem space and having a well-defined strategy is one of the earliest warning signs that you are probably setting yourself up for failure or some significant underperformance that's going to, to impact the results that you're looking for with, with your product or service. So a lot of times, you know, through talking to countless leaders, you know, really understanding one of the most important things is to really step outside of your ideas and the, the solutions and what you think you need to build and really focus on understanding the problem you're solving. And then 
how does your unique insight into that problem, your own experiences and your resources that you have as have an organization, how can those be leveraged to solve that in a unique and differentiating way that actually, you know, will create demand for that product, earn market mm. share and create engagement or market fit as it's commonly referred to. And that is, um, I mean, I see Fortune 500 companies making mistakes with that all the time. And I see, you know, startups, uh, you know, making mistakes with that all the time. And so that is a huge linchpin for the, the success of, of really making sure that you understand that problem space first and foremost. Yeah. So are, are you familiar with the, um, the metaphor of the lock and the key? I'm not. You heard of that? So uh, Seth Godin, I'm sure you've heard of Seth Godin, very well sure. known in the marketing oh, yeah. space. Uh, he in his book, this is marketing, and it's interesting. This top, this this comes up on several podcasts um, when we did last week and and here. But the idea, the lock and the key is is you you know as a as a business creator, right? And as an entrepreneur, you know our incentive, our 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 instinct is, hey, let's go into the closet or into the basement or the workshop or go into the office and let's build something. As you say, we start with the engineering side. And we come out with something and then we want to go and sell it, right? We want to go in, hey, look what I built for you. And so we've created a key. We fashioned a key. And now we're trying to go and sell it to people. But we've never once looked at the lock. We've never once asked a customer or our target audience, our target market, what is the problem? What's unique about your problem? What would a good solution look like? And then take that and go back into, into the shop and design something and say, hey, listen, I, I heard you the first time. Here's what I made. Can we see if this fits? And then creating that feedback loop of the lock right. and the key as the metaphor. Um, but I think that's, that's essentially the heart of what you were just talking about. It, absolutely. I mean, that, I think that's spot on. It, it also reminds me of, of um, there's some work, uh, Harvard business professor Clay Christensen wrote The Innovator's Dilemma and Competing Against mm -hmm. Luck which uh, are, are wonderful books and, you know, very much speaking to that, like, you know, what's the job to be done here? What are we hiring this product or service to do for us? And it's essentially looking at that lock and, and understanding like, what do we need this for? Um, you know, and, and how does it, you know, really create value And it? It's profound because it changes how we look at our co competition. You know, it, it changes how, what we're really competing against or, we competing against similar, you know, products or services, or are we competing against, you know, something for time or efficiency or wallet share? What are the actual, you know, attributes that we're, you know, addressing and when is our product being used maybe versus another? And, you know, you see this really be profound in how it changes the way you message and can connect with customers. It changes the way, what features you might decide to build into your products and into your services. Um, it changes the way that you handle um, almost every facet of, of the experience. And so these become really, really foundational questions that need to be thought about upfront. And you can test these things and you can design these mm. things well in advance of building these things and having then something that potentially is, is unusable to, to the customer and doesn't establish any market fit. So and again, I'm not experienced in this space. I'm just thinking through this a little bit. And I, I, I can imagine, and I come back to earlier, I talked about, you know, target niche, you know, products and services versus mass market. What I was going to say, if you're 
pursuing mass market and you design something and you have, hey, it works for a few people, right? It could work for a handful of people, but if it doesn't appeal to, to um, the masses, right? If it doesn't appeal to enough, uh, then you, you, you're not gonna be able to have a successful you know, company, you know, a, a, a successful initiative. How, or is there anything you know, that you've come across that helps a, um, you know, a, a new product group determine at what scale, how to go after the market, how to slice it in a way where, hey, if we can make this relevant for X amount of organizations, then we can, we can be successful here. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of facets, um, you know, just to look at it kind of holistically. One is, you know, first, I, I mentioned that problem space. Well, if you first can identify, well, which group in the market has that problem most significantly and are dealing with that problem and are, are they motivated to actually change, uh, you know, their organization or the product or services they use to solve that problem, your ideal situation is to hyper-target that market. I think one of the mm -hmm. biggest challenges is when you try to go too broad, too fast, and you don't really develop, you know, a, a strong market fit for the product. Because once you've established and you understand that problem space, you can start to look at other segments. And so, you know, businesses usually have two, you know, main ways of growing, right? You can either grow vertically within your vertical and, and command more market share and potentially start to optimize um, how you deliver that product or service, or you can expand horizontally into new segments of the market. And so if we look at that, then either way, we need to make sure that we have an anchor point that where we really understand what's the value exchange between the solution that we're providing to the customer then secondarily, once we have that core market fit established, we can look at adjacent markets and say, well, what out of these 10 markets, who has the most similar challenges that our product can solve for? If we modify and create a variation of the product you know, for this market, what would that lift be? And one of the beautiful mm -hmm. things about digital products is that you know, unlike a physical product, there's a hard cost to every unit sold. Right. Within software, though, once we've made that investment into that core product, for every new instance we sell, it's it's a hundred percent margin after the core mm. cost has been covered. So that's mm -hmm. I mean, this is why technology companies have such high profit, you know, capabilities and in, in revenue per employee base, because they can build models off of that idea. And so you're looking specifically for those adjacent uh, you know, areas of the market where you can say, is that problem space there? Is there some now? What's the competition for that adjacent market? Do we have differing attributes? Have we solved this problem effectively for that market? And is it worth the capital investment to make to start to expand and push into that market? You know, effectively, you know, and those are just they're very fundamental things, but they they often can get skipped. Um, and I think what happens is is that. Without good strategy for the product, what happens is sometimes you also you lose a, a decision criteria for how to evaluate is the product going to move the organization and the customer forward effectively um, with the intention of the business. And so things can get fragmented or too many variations of the product start to come up and now you're managing and maintaining um, versions of the product that are extremely expensive to do with very little capital return. So, 
you know, these are things that, that really have to be thought through up um, ahead of time. Yeah. So I, I would, I would follow that up with what other things should um, executives and owners of digital products and services be thinking about as they, um, as they're initiating a new product? Well, I think one is, I personally believe that no product should be initiated without a really clear strategy. And so I think that there's a lot of professional misunderstanding around what good strategy is. And I think, um, you know, strategy is often can, can be confused with things like goals and ambition and vision statements and, and these things. And, and none of those things are strategy. They're all important, and but they're not strategy. And so really being able to make sure that any product has a, a clear strategy is mission critical, not just for the success of the product, but you need to empower your the organization, the teams, every business function in order to deliver that product effectively. And every person should be empowered to understand how their work contributes and makes a difference. And you can do that. And it's not about dollars and cents. It's about, do we understand the customer and those problems we're solving for? Do we understand how to create that value? And so fundamentally, strategy needs to have five foundational components. You do have to have a strong vision, but that vision needs to be specific and it needs to be measurable. It's intent while you may want it to be inspirational, what's most important is that there's a clear long-term destination. What are we trying to achieve with this product? Secondarily, we've talked about it a bunch, is you need to understand the problem. Who's the audience? What, how does this problem impact that audience? What's the magnitude of that impact? How does, what are the symptomatic signs of that problem? You know, what's the competitive landscape associated to that problem, et cetera? Next, you need to really understand what are the outcomes and what are the near-term outcomes? So three to you know months out to a year, what are you trying to achieve with this iteration of the product for both the business and for the customer? And so a lot of businesses get really focused on what it can do for them. And that's and that 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 tends to erode market fit and staying customer centric. Um, mm-hmm. And so we do, and then if you just look at what customers want. It may not be in alignment with where the organization is going as a whole. And if you're a larger organization, you may have a portfolio of products. You may have many things that are taking place Mm -hmm. and you need to keep these things in alignment. So you need to understand the outcome for both and making sure that it's moving you towards that long-term destination that you've established because that should be in alignment with the mission and objectives of the organization as a whole, no matter the size. Um, and then we need to understand, well, what's the approach? What approach are we going to take based on our constraints and our available resources to solve this problem in a unique and valuable way? And what does that next iteration of this product look like? And then we have to have a way to measure it. What, how do we measure forward progress? Strategy can encompass a lot of other things, but fundamentally, if we don't have those five pillars in place, we have not done the work necessary to establish a team to be able to deliver a great product successfully. Um, and expectations tend to erode very quickly um, in the environment where that's absent. Mm. You'd mentioned a couple of things. Um, you touched on something I wanna kind of pivot a little bit, a bit up on as you're designing this, as you're building out your strategy and uh, considering the employee experience, mm-hmm. right? And thinking of your team and how it's gonna impact them. Uh, can you speak to some of the, the principles or trends you're seeing in effective product, uh, digital service and digital product teams? Yeah. 
So right now in, in this um, climate, I, I should say, you know, there's more demand for expertise in digital products and services than ever before in a huge deficit of a number of people in that space. And so there's this massive trend of how do we adopt technology successfully? And then because of these constraints, how do we really establish a, a method for empowering our teams to solve problems? And, and let me put an emphasis on that in the context of, I've never met a, an executive or CEO of a company who's told me that their people are not their most valuable asset, that that's the key to their organization's success. So if that's true, the most empowering thing you can do is to give them the information to be successful. And so when we talk about like strategy, strategy is the foundational set of information all disciplines need to be, to be successful. And I think that we've seen a climate where more and more uh, folks are looking for that clarity. They're looking and they're challenging if there's a deficit in leadership. Um, and I mean, real leadership where I'm not saying because of your title, I mean, leadership, because you, you, you command the respect of, of your peers. You are gen, you are in service of, of, of those um, that you work with, that there's, um, there's a necessity now to understand that, you know, the whole um, old era industrial playbook, you know, go put in, you know, you work at this part of the business, put four screws here, you know, put on the bumper of the car and move and, you know, don't worry about the rest of it and just keep doing that. Like that doesn't work anymore. And, um, you know, when we say that our people are our greatest asset and we're, we're valuing them as problem solvers, then we have to give them the information to solve the problems in the right way, which means they need to understand the rules of the game that we have decided as business owners, as leaders to play and how we're going to play that game and what those values that drive the decisions in, in the game that we're, we're playing. And so these kind of fundamental things, I think, are really getting uh you know, challenge significantly by employees who see whether it's authentic or not. And they're mm. really pushing organizations to live up to the promise and in, in making sure so they know that they are um, having real value and are valued. So I'm curious, what do um, owners and executive leaders need to do to create that environment? Like how, like, it sounds like there's a there's potentially a gap in creating those environments that are stable for employees to thrive in. Well, I think that it's there's a lot of things that leaders can do. Um, I, I don't think we have enough time to go through all the things that are running through my head at the moment. But a couple of things that I have found to be incredibly powerful um, is that one thing is leaders should need to spend time with customers. First and foremost, in this in this era, I think it's you know it's very easy as you go up through the, an organization, especially a mid to large cap company, you get further and further removed from the customer in many ways. And I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, being a tech guy, growing up in in you know uh, the Bay Area, um, I remember as a kid going into a coffee shop and and Steve Jobs would be in the corner. And then I would hear as I grew up later that, you know, what was he doing? He was watching the way people use the, their products. He was learning. He was, you mm -hmm. know, he would talk to people. Um, I've seen that with a lot of amazing leaders that I've had the opportunity to get to meet or talk to over the years. They consistently make time in their schedule 
um, to connect with customers, spend time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the stores or talking to customers on the phone, uh, um, being in the call center and, and not just what the, what's happening in the call center, but like literally sitting on the calls and, and there's, it doesn't take a lot, but that profound empathy for your customer and context changes the way you lead. And I think it's a really powerful tool that is, um, can be leveraged by anyone um, if, if you, if you make it a priority. So I, I would say that's number one. Um, the second thing that comes to mind is what I would say is building a common language in your organization. Mm -hmm. And this one I think is, is really important in the context of like every industry has its own acronyms and shorthand and every company kind of has a way that the, the culture develops and, and, you know, you talk to one another, but I think it's really important that when we talk about things that we verify that there's a shared understanding. And a lot of the frustration that people have is when, or organizations have is like, why can't we collaborate more effectively? Why can't we get this thing done? Why are we still working on this? I mean, you hear things like this all the time. And usually you can trace it back to a root cause of there wasn't really a shared understanding of that thing. And so a really good example I run into all the time is customer experience. When I talk about customer experience, what does that mean? And what that means to one person is different than maybe what I, what I think about it and versus another person in the room. And so the most important thing is that we not only have a common um, you know, language around customer experience, but we have a common understanding of what it means so that when we're working together, we can work on creating things and solving problems and not working against each other because we had a different understanding or interpretation of what those things meant. And I think leaders today have uh, an added responsibility because of the fact that we're empowering employees. You have to create a, a common language and shared understanding of those things to empower your company to scale. It's something that's really taken, I think, for granted at in a startup or a small business because you have a shorthand with people. It's You have a few people to manage. But once you start you know, adding team members, the complexity um, and the lines of communication grow exponentially. And so maintaining that is becomes an essential variable for, for large scale um, implementation in the organization. I love it. I think the two things, so, and, you know, we talk about building adaptive uh, teams and being an adaptive executive, you know, observing your customers right? I think there's tremendous insight. I think that's really, really gold. As much as you can, um, you know, observe them using your product as much as you can so that you can see what they're actually doing. And then uh, crafting a common and shared language, common, common language with shared meaning, right? So that when you're, you can actually communicate effectively, uh, we live in such a pluralistic time, I can say something to you, but you may it, its meaning may be completely different unless we've we've had that discussion, unless we can confirm that communication actually happened. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, this has been fantastic. I, I want to encourage, is there any final thoughts you'd give to our listeners? And if somebody wanted to reach out and connect with you, what would be the best way for them to, to contact you? Well, I think on the final thoughts, I, I will have to say, you know, under these circumstances right now, I think we're at one of the most amazing periods of time when it comes to digital products and services. There is an incredible amount of opportunity that has yet to be tapped across industries. And so one of the exciting things I get to do is I, I sit um, 
and a lot of different groups getting to see new pitches and new ideas and all sorts of things that are happening in some of the opportunities and, and the impacts of those. And so I would say, you know, you know, embrace the unknown. And I, I encourage anybody to, if, uh, you know, to take on the, the adventure of navigating, you know, digital transformation and, and you know, products and services um, more effectively, because it, it can be such a profound um, positive thing for not just the business, but for the, the people that you serve. Um, if people are interested in, in connecting with me, one of the best ways to find me is on LinkedIn. And also uh, you can check out, there's a ton of free resources that uh, we provide at uh, emergeinteractive.com. And then of course, if anybody's interested in the book, it's available on Amazon and iTunes, um, Alignment, Overcoming Internal Sabotage and Product Failure. I love it. And we'll put all of those in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can just grab the show notes and you can go right to those links. Uh, Jonathan Hensley, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. The Great. Thank executive. you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Adaptive Executive Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. You can follow us on LinkedIn and by subscribing to our mailing list. Again, my name is Greg Ballard and thank you for listening.